After a lifetime of researching the dynamic and enigmatic world of light entertainment, I've decided to ditch my notebook and meet the people who inspire me. What makes them the people they are? How do they feel about the show business landscape in which they find themselves? And in a world where anyone can be a star, is there still a need for performers who have universal appeal? Come with me on a journey of discovery as I get a unique insight into Britain's favourite stars with a little help from my glamorous assistants. Yeah, well, I say glamorous, more like hazardous. And of course, we'll have a bit of fun along the way. Former Harrods security guard turned police officer Rav Wilding became a household name in 2004 when he made his debut on the BBC's Crime Watch whilst he was still serving in the Met. Having resigned from the police in 2008, Rav joined the presenting team on Crime Watch and soon fronted many other BBC crime-related programmes including Missing Persons Live, Crime Watch Roadshow and Helicopter Heroes. I caught up with the broadcaster to talk crime, protection and TV. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Rav Wilding. One of the striking things about your early career is that you were a security guard at Harrods. What sort of responsibility was that on your relatively young shoulders? Uh, that was a, a really good job, actually. But um, I'm glad you asked about the responsibility because it, it was um, a great responsibility. So Harrods is a, a, a massive store in central London that I had never been to before I started working there. It's, um, it's very famous. It's got a lot of really expensive things in there, a lot of the rich and famous shop there, certainly well without my reach. Um, so the, the roles that we had were, were many, actually. We, we would sort of be the security front line on the doors, so we would make sure that things like the dress code that was in place was, uh, was honoured, and we'd be turning people away with ripped jeans and who the boss didn't want in there because they were too scruffy. We would make sure that things weren't stolen. We'd be looking for activations on the, the uh, what we call the checkpoint machines, the alarms on when people were because there was a lot of theft there because of the value of the the items. We'd be patrolling the store, but more than that, there was a lot of areas outside of the the shop that the public could go to, um, where we would look after the security and safety of that. So we would be checking things like there was a bank, for example. A lot of people don't know that there's a bank in Harrods. So we would be looking after that. We would be looking after all the deliveries coming in, make sure nothing's being nicked or stolen. So there was loads and loads of things that we would do. And it was a 24-hour job as well. So the store opening hours was just one small part of it. Um, the real fun we had was was probably in the in the small hours of the night when the store was closed and we were just walking around the store with a torch, just making sure everything was uh, was safe and sound. So I really enjoyed that job. It was really good. It was all ex-military um, people like myself that worked there. It was very much like a military environment, and um, yeah, it was a really nice place to work. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Uh, question two. Did you always want to be a police officer? Um, I have always wanted to be a police officer since I was young, so probably around 12 or 13, really. So my grandfather and my grandmother on my mother's side were police officers themselves many, many years before I was born. Um, and they actually died when I was probably around 15. So when I was about 12 or 13, and I would see the pictures of them as police officers, um, my grandfather was a chief inspector and, and my grandmother was a sergeant. So, you know, they were, they were good, they were experienced. Um, 
they would absolutely uh, try and you know tell me all the good stuff about the policing and tell me that you know stories about when they when they were in there and it was that really that that made me think of it as a as a possible job and and of course they died before I ever got to join the police and I think that was probably part of what inspired me and and drove me on to do it because I know that they would have been so proud and it kind of kept the the family tradition if you like going so from a young age yes uh, about 12 or 13 and uh, and then I was only 22 when I joined so pretty young um, making your debut on the BBC's Crime Watch in 2004, how daunting was it being on camera for the very first time? Josh, that was the most scary thing of my life, I can tell you. Um, so Crime Watch is something that, that I grew up watching as a, as a child. Um, it had been on since 1984. And then in 2004, as you, as you mentioned, was when I started. That was the 20th anniversary of the series. And I um, actually got... The role I auditioned with hundreds of other people um, and then they whittled us down and down and down until I was eventually given the job and it was because they specifically wanted um, someone from a, a sort of an ethnic minority background because they they didn't have anyone from a diverse background on the show so um, so I was really proud to, to be given that opportunity and to be the first sort of diverse presenter on the show um, but it didn't prepare me for the nerves of live television in front of about six million people at the time. It's so nerve-wracking. I, my heart was actually beating so hard you could hear it on the microphone. That's how that's how loud it was. Um, but you know what? You get used to it. Um, and I, I love live telly now. Love it more than anything else. And some people, it's just not for them. But uh, it took some getting used to. But yes, very very daunting. Where did we film it? Yeah. Yeah. So back then, we filmed it at the BBC White City, so the main television centre, um, which, again, was an amazing thing because I walked into this place that I'd seen on telly and, and there was all these other amazing shows that were going on, game shows, Jonathan Ross, Paul O'Grady, all these great big shows were filmed in the in the same building and I'd see all these famous faces in the building as I was walking along so it really was just such an amazing place for me to work and what a lot of people don't know is when I started that in 2004 I was a police officer so as soon as I finished the show I would be back on duty as a police officer on my next shift whether that was eight o'clock the following morning or 10 o'clock that night so sometimes I would go straight from crime watch to night duty CID um, and working in in central London <laughs> Uh, okay, just five years previously saw the murder of former Crime Watch presenter Jill Dando. What sort of protection and support did you receive by the BBC and the police to prevent a similar situation from happening to you? I mean, that's what happened was, was horrendous. It happened before I joined the show, um, but it's something that uh, obviously everyone knew very, you know, it was a very high-profile case and such an awful, awful thing to have happened. Um, in answer to your question, not a great deal, if I'm honest. Um, we didn't have, I, 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 you know, nothing extra was, was put in place that I was aware of. Um, unfortunately, I did have, um, uh, I did have some problems of my own. I had a, a stalker of my own, which ended up going to court uh, on two occasions. Um, 
but thankfully the police were very good and they did deal with that particular person and and they were convicted of the crime so so that's a good thing i think we have a for me anyway i i have a responsibility to look after my own protection really um doing these programs there's a lot of people that are not pleased to see me on the telly because I'm asking who this wanted person is. I'm, I'm saying who is this person committing this crime in this piece of CCTV or whatever it is. So there's a lot of people out there, these you know criminals out there, who, who don't want me to identify them. So I do get some, some grief. I've had uh, my car smashed up before whilst I was on TV, and although I could never prove it in a court of law, the police were pretty adamant it was someone that targeted me. Um, so yes, some unpleasant things have happened, but I make sure my security is is on a personal level up to scratch, uh, and yeah, just look after myself. Really, I think we all have to. But what happened to her is is always going to be there, and it's it's just horrendous and um, such a sad, tragic loss of life. Okay, in two thousand eight, you teamed up with Louise Minchin to take the reins on Missing Persons Live. How successful was this show in giving families of lost relatives the closure they needed? That was a really, really good show that I worked on with Louise. Um, I, and I really liked doing Missing because it, it was a genuine appeal to the public to, to help. And, and we had so many people really genuinely getting in touch to try and offer the information that they could. And it was interesting because sometimes with the, the Crime Watch programmes, there's people that know full well what happened, but they don't want to to get in touch because they don't want to be seen as a grass or whatever they want to call it. But with missing people, it's slightly different. People genuinely all wanted to help and gave gave across the information that they could. So that was really heartwarming. The problems we had was sometimes people would even be found, but they didn't want to be found they went missing on there was only a few but sometimes people went missing and, and it was deliberate and they didn't want to be found again so when they were found they didn't want to help and didn't want to go on the program and didn't want family members being told where they were so that was a little bit difficult because sometimes we would do everything we thought we were doing right and people didn't actually want us to do it so that was quite disappointing and deflating but when we were genuinely able to to find those that that were in need and, and the family were, were happy to have some sort of closure, it really was um, quite rewarding indeed. Okay, so uh, beyond police investigations, you've also presided over another emergency service in Helicopter Heroes. What has this taught you about the vital work of the ambulance service? Oh, they are just fantastic, the, the Helicopter Heroes. Um, I spent probably about six years in total working alongside them and they uh, they were just brilliant 365 days of the year they were they were there ready to respond and they they had to do a, a big selection in order to get to get posted on the on the air ambulance but they were ready to respond at the drop of a hat no matter when it was they would be running out the door onto that aircraft and um i had such a huge respect for them for doing that because if you think if you're on that helicopter the chances are you are going to see the the highest type of trauma possible you know the worst kind of road accidents or the worst the worst of the worst really in times of medical in terms of medical emergency so they had to be really hardened professionals to deal with that day in and day out and and they absolutely were in the 6 years that I worked with them there wasn't a single person that wasn't the 
utmost uh, professional example of, of what you would want. So it was brilliant to work with them and, and to see what they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I don't know many other people that could do that job. Having spent the majority of your television career fronting factual-based programs, how important is it for the audience to see another side of your personality? Oh, yeah, really important for me that, Josh, because as much as I like what I do, it, it is typically very, very serious and you know, there is another side to me. I do like having fun and I do like uh, smiling and I do like talking to people. I love talking to people and interacting with people. And a lot of the shows that I do, other than Crime Watch Roadshow, I don't get that opportunity. I'll be given a script and I'll learn the script and I will read that to the camera. Where in Crime Watch Roadshow, I get the opportunity to sit down and, and interview people and talk to them and hear their stories. And, and, and it's much more interactive, which I absolutely love. So I, I would love as much opportunity as possible to show another side of me and uh, a more human side rather than, you know, just a, the, perhaps a slightly one-dimensional side of me, which is just uh, reading words to a camera where it's slightly different where I can be myself. So uh, I really like doing that. Talking's, talking's good. <laughs> Do you think um, that's something you'll move into more into the future, go on to different types of shows? Um, possibly, hopefully. Um, I'm, yeah, I, I'd always be keen on, on, on other avenues. I'm talking to people at the moment about podcast ideas of my own, about radio, things where I can interact and talk. And, and although I'd always like to keep doing the, the crime shows because I, I love them so much and it's, you know, it's, it's what I've done for 16 years now, uh, absolutely would like the opportunity to do some more. So, so hopefully I get the opportunity to do a bit of both. Excellent. Okay. Um, you've recently been involved in ITV's The Full Monty to highlight male cancer. How important is this to you? I thought that was really important to get that message across because, I, well, I'm talking to two guys now. Uh, guys typically are, are pretty rubbish at, at, at talking openly about sort of intimate problems, if you like. And that's really what the program was about it was about the the male cancers prostate or t t testicular um which are the more intimate ones that people don't normally talk about if there's issues in that area men are rubbish about going to the doctor for example and i think doing something as let's face it as outrageous as as stripping on tv was what it would take for people to go why are they doing that oh they're doing it to raise awareness for the these male cancers oh right okay and the feedback that I've got is absolutely extraordinary, more than anything else I think I've ever done on telly, where I've had complete strangers stopping me in the street saying, my husband's got himself checked because of that show. I've had taxi drivers saying, oh, I told my wife what, what show you were doing. They've told me to get checked, so I've booked myself in with a doctor. You know, this has actually had a genuine impact on, on complete strangers. So it was such a privilege to be part of it. And uh, I really genuinely think it's made a difference. Yeah, definitely. I enjoy watching it as well. It's a good show. I watch it. Yeah, it was good. Thank you. Did yeah. you watch the ladies as well? They were really good. Yeah, yeah. I watch them both. Yeah, it's brilliant. Such a good show. Oh. Like really heartwarming show, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Me. You're laughing. You're crying. You know, you're going for. Yeah, exactly. It was a bit of everything, wasn't it? It was a bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, looking back at your career, what's your proudest achievement? 
That's a really difficult question to answer what my, my proudest achievement was, because there's lots of different ones, you see. So being part of the All, All New Monty was, was one of them, because it was, by the end of it, when we did that routine, we were such a close bond of, of guys. We really knew what we were doing, and it was, it was such a special environment that, that we will always treasure. So that was something I'm very, very proud of. But then I did a show called 71 Degrees North, which was um, a challenge show set in the Arctic where we had to compete and do all these crazy challenges like swimming in the Arctic Sea and climbing frozen waterfalls. I won that show. So that was quite a proud achievement for me on a, on a sort of personal level. But also doing something on, on Crime Watch. If we, if we put out a, show, a piece of CCTV and, and a genuine stranger phones in and says, I know who that is. I know where that person is. And I hear the next day that the police have gone round and arrested them. That is something else I'm very, very proud of. So there's lots of different things that I'm proud of in different ways. And I don't really think I could highlight a single one. I've just been really lucky over the last 16 or so years to, to have many personal achievements. Okay. And oh, actually, Josh, sorry, there's one more, one more silly one. Um, if you've ever heard of the game show Tipping Point, I am the current record holder for tipping point because I've got the most coins dropped in a single go, and that was 23. <laughs> yeah. not, not the greatest record to tell everyone, you know, but, you know, it's not like Usain Bolt's 100-meter record, but it's a good one for me. <laughs> I, do, I do vaguely remember you doing that, actually, now you say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's good fun. So someone will beat it one day. long <laughs> How long ago was that? Oh, it's a few years ago now. Probably about six years ago, I would say. Possibly, possibly, yeah, about six years ago. Uh, it was myself, uh, Michelle Marsh, and Dennis Taylor, the snooker player. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> that is a random one. <laughs> okay. Um, what's next for Rav Wilding? Uh, sorry, I said Michelle Marsh, Kim Marsh, sorry. Um, what's next for me? So at the moment I'm working on a TV show which is called Ill-Gotten Gains, which is on um, BBC. That's all about what's called the Proceeds of Crime Act. So when a criminal has been arrested and convicted at court, then if they have been making criminal money from, say, for example, selling drugs, then the police now have the power to go to their home and take all the things they've bought with that criminal money. They take it away, put it at an auction, people buy it, and all the money that's raised at auction, it goes back into the public purse. So it's a real win-win situation. So we're auctioning off things like uh, designer watches, designer clothes, cars, motorbikes, boats, all these things that have been bought by criminals with their criminal money. And then the, the money's been sent back into the public purse to either help victims or build things like a community garden or a youth club or something like that. So it's a real win-win. So I'm working on that at the moment. When is it out? It's coming out soon. Uh, they haven't got an official date, um, but it's going to be in the summer. And it's 15 shows on BBC One, Ill-Gotten Games. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be on in both the morning, and then they're going to put it on at, uh, in the evening as well. Okay, brilliant. A big thank you to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you like this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy? 
Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates of forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time for another Beyond the Title interview.